Hey everybody, just real quick before we begin, I have terrible uh, audio quality this time around. I'm not sure why. I think it has to do with my internet. I'll try to fix that for the next time uh, so we don't have that happen again. The other thing is, I have some exciting news. My new book is out, How a 25-Year-Old Learned He Wasn't the Only One Going to Heaven. You can find that on my website, danielr.net slash book. It's available in hardback and through ebook. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode with Brad Jerzak. It was absolutely fun to record. And I hope you get a lot out of it, guys. Have a great day, and God bless. And welcome back, everyone, to Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. My name is Daniel Rogers, and I'm here with uh, my friend Jesse Wynn. Uh, he wanted to join me for this very special podcast interview today because we are with the one and only Bradley Jerzak. Brad, how are you doing today, my friend? Um, pretty good, actually. I woke up cheerful, and you just never know. It's It's strange how <laughs> dependent we are on how we feel when we wake up and what the weather's like. We're human after all, right? So yeah, I, I, yeah. you picked, you got me in a good day and I've had enough coffee to, to be kind. It was probably providential because I know that we had to, uh, we had to postpone one week because there was some flights uh, that we had, had forgot about, I guess, when we were trying to schedule and some scheduling conflicts. And so here we are. So maybe that was providential that we are where we are now. Um, yeah. Thanks for making space despite that. I appreciate it. Well, we, uh, <laughs> our relatively small podcast, so we have all the space in the world, right? Cool. So we can move things around uh, as needed. But we are here uh, to discuss, of course, uh, your brand new book. Um, it's available on uh, it's available in paperback. It's available in uh, audio book now, and it's also available uh, in on Kindle. And so that's probably another good reason why it was uh, the interview was postponed a little bit because had we recorded what, two weeks ago, as we planned, then the audiobook wouldn't have been published yet. And so now our listeners can go right there and uh, download that if uh, if they prefer to read books that way. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast uh, on the way to work and uh, doing the dishes or whatever. Uh, not everybody's blessed as I am to have a full-time job where you get to study scripture and, and uh, read books like that and think about those things. So uh, having that audiobook out is definitely a blessing for a lot of people. So uh, the book that um, Brad has uh, recently written is called Out of the Embers, and it's really focused on uh, this uh, whole idea of deconstruction, which uh, for most, for a lot of us is a painful experience, but as Brad points out in his book, has somewhat turned into a bit of a fad, especially on the internet in recent years. And much of the book uh, is dealing with that. But before we get to all those sort of details, uh, do you just want to walk us through just sort of the process. Where did this book come from? You know, what drove you to write it? Uh, tell us, tell us about that story. Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I, I guess my first concern is for people, you know, and what they are experiencing on this kind of a journey where they feel dramatic shifts in their faith. And some of that um, I participated in, in terms of inviting people to think about things like hell differently, the meaning of the cross, what is the gospel, a more beautiful gospel, um, and and a God who's exactly like Jesus. So when you start doing that, you, you begin realizing we've accumulated false images of God, false ways of being Christian, um, poor ways of reading scripture. So that does involve... Uh, dismantling old constructs well that's one version of deconstruction and so um 
as as you guys know, uh, once you go down that path, it can also become alienating if if others are reactive and and then you can end up um, either having to flee uh, an environment where there was toxic spirituality or you know end up even having family members reject you as a heretic or something so all of this was up in the air but as as it's become so big and so trendy that i would regard it now as as a movement but it's a complex movement so as i'm as i'm looking at this phenomenon especially in america but it's really true at least across the west um i i noticed a couple of things one is I'm, I'm going to give you a few binaries. So one is that for some deconstruction is voluntary, where they they make a choice to let go of particular ways of thinking and being and believing. For others, it's involuntary, where it's like, I don't know how this happened, but I'm. they might think of it as losing their faith, losing their community, losing losing something that they didn't intend to lose some even have decided well i'm going to leave church but i'll still follow jesus and then a few years later they don't even believe in him anymore and like and and they're like i didn't mean to do that but that's what happened so that's the voluntary involuntary and also um i feel like for some it's been super liberating and where they let go of of constructs that were actually causing them spiritual ptsd and ways of thinking about god that were really um oppressive and 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 so when they break out of that it, the experience is more like the exodus you know and it's yeah. super liberating and 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 then on the other hand while for some it's it's liberating and to be celebrated others are like it it's like um uh super traumatizing and it and one person compared it uh, to a mastectomy where they knew there was something cancerous that had to go, but they didn't have a choice how much of their themselves they would lose. And so in their analogy, what they meant was, I, you know, I wanted to get rid of toxic Christianity, but what I didn't want to get rid of was my faith in a God who loves me. And now I don't know. And in fact, even once they've gone that far, some, um, you know, they decline into into mental illness where it's like i've lost all meaning why am i even alive and those folks were contacting me and then one other binary um would be like what i called the hand-wringing pastors who just think it's de it that whatever kind of deconstruction it is it must be backsliding and the solution is for me to herd them back into the church but yeah. the other the other was kind of, was just the cheerleader destruction deconstructionists who were just yeah burn it all down demolish the whole thing forget it walk away follow your heart you know and and i i was just seeing that's not a a, a very kind way to approach this for people who've been traumatized they need empathy so that's all of that led me to write the book and yeah. um that covers really the first third of the book <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> that's uh, that's been much of my experience as well. Just all of those different uh, takes on deconstruction, and I guess a lot of that depends on uh, what your background is, who your uh, faith leaders are, and whatever community you happen to be a part of. Um, and if you are one of the faith leaders in your community, who your uh, who writes your paycheck? <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of that can determine how, uh, how you react or how you found yourself 
and this process of deconstruction. And so I really appreciate you putting a lot of that uh, into language in the first part of your book and trying to offer uh, some, you know, just offer everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and a potential way through deconstruction. And uh, in in the opening section, I can't remember if it was in the introduction or the first chapter, uh, you mentioned a couple of other models of deconstruction, uh, like Brian McLaren's uh, simplicity, complexity, perplexity, harmony, and then Richard Rohr's uh, order, disorder, reorder. Do you find that models like that are maybe more more healthy ways of talking about deconstruction uh, in today's climate? Or what are your thoughts yeah. on that? I do think so. I, I think those guys, and then Brian Zond with his water to wine model, um, all of those are, I really appreciate them. And here's why, um, that in every case, they're not seeing deconstruction as a new identity or place to get stuck. They're, uh, one metaphor I use is a birth canal, you know, don't get stuck yeah. in the birth canal. And so guys like Rohr and McLaren and Zond, they're, they're seeing that um, it is something that's uh, necessary and perilous, but there's also possibilities to it. And that the end game is not deconstruction. The end game um, and this, uh, for all of them would be settling into a new way of, of, of uh, being and believing and, and orienting ourselves to God, each other, and to the world. So, um, I, I like that about those guys. They're all, they're all midwives in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian McLaren is uh, specifically was a midwife for me. Um, when I was living in Southwest Florida, I was able to connect with him and, uh, he actually used part of my journey to talk about that movement from simplicity to complexity to perplexity. And mm -hmm. uh, I appreciated all the counsel he gave me on that. So yeah, to, to call him and Roar and uh, Brian Zahn midwives, yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, very uh, good terminology. So you, you talk about deconstruction uh, in such a way that our listeners know that you must have gone through some period of deconstruction uh, in your own life. Uh, those who have read the book or have already started to read, we'll see that in the very first few chapters. But uh, why don't you walk us through a little bit of some of your story? You know, why, why does this subject mean so much to you in particular? Yeah. So um, um, I'm kind of a, a poster boy for the complexity of it in that I've known both the liberation and the trauma. So in my story, you know, I began I began with the theological deconstruction around anything to do with, with God being retributive. When I began to get a revelation of God as a loving father, when I began to see Christ in action as a gentle shepherd in the context of inner healing, when I began to see how God never condemns um, even, even perpetrators of evil, but like, let's say uh, those who've done harm through their addictions, you know, and I just consistently watch how God treats people. So then that meant like, wait a minute, um, does he really require retribution? the satisfaction of wrath in order to be able to forgive and be kind. And so, so that went in a very particular order. Um, my theological deconstruction started with, um, well, as I say, the revelation of, of a loving father, which then, which then caused me to rethink my view of the atonement and the cross. And I wrote about that in like 2007, 2008. And then on hell, I wrote about that in 2009. And then, 
uh, once once you see that, then you have to revisit what do you do with Old Testament violence. And so I was watching these dominoes fall, not only in my life, but in that exact order in like a lot of people, including like the American Academy of Religion conferences, were covering those themes in the same order that I was experiencing them. And that was pretty amazing. And, and, um, and the fact that, you know, other people, other pastors, um, we're getting fired over that stuff. I'm happy to say that my church rallied around it. And they're like, yeah. yes, lead us through this. This feels super liberating. And so that's what I did. So that was one level of deconstruction. And when I say theological, I don't just mean academic. I mean, like, when you stop believing God is angry at you, when you stop believing he sent a loved one who was, quote, unsaved to hell to burn forever, when you stop thinking he commands genocide in the world, and this has implications for peace building, I mean, that that affects your whole life. So it, yes, it's not just a head thing, it, it, but it is, a, it is about our view of God. So that's what I mean by theological. The other part of it for me was the involuntary and traumatic stuff. And that's where I, I experienced a, an unraveling, especially through 2008, 2009, in my personal life, where in our community, we just saw so many tragedies and they began to accumulate and like a lot of deaths, a lot of overdoses, suicides, cancer, uh, an abduction, a murder. I mean, this was creepy. And it was partly because of the kind of community we had. We were working with people from the streets, people coming out of addictions, people coming out of jail, people coming out of gangs, you know, that kind of thing. And a whole lot of beautiful uh, people with disabilities who were though having very tragic deaths and and um, you know seeing the problem of pain every day. Anyway, as that began to accumulate, and I realized I you know that even my inner healing um, experience was not a magic bullet for this. I I really fell apart and and then and then I began acting out in my own addictions, and I became a, a, a you know not publicly, but I was harmful. I, you know, people were hurt because of me, you know, so when you hear about pastors, um, you know, I wasn't one of the good guys. I, I, um, I made, I made my own messes. And so that just led me to despair. And I, I felt like, can I even trust God? And that's when I began uh, again, I'm just so lucky. I had uh, healers surround me, a spiritual director who loved me through this, uh, a 12-step sponsor, a wife who is supernaturally full of grace and not only brought healing to me, but to our community when they asked her to step in in my place. And yeah. um, she did it. And like, so that was pretty amazing. So that's the two sides of it for me. And then reconstruction has been, you know, a journey ever since then. You know, Brad, um, there's a couple of times in your book that you mentioned your wife, uh, Eden. Yeah. And um, for me, that, that was the most powerful times in the book. Um, mm. uh, as we talked about before we started recording today, uh, you know, Daniel and I and, and pretty much all of our listeners, with maybe a few exceptions, are people who uh, came from a faith community that loved Jesus and loved the Bible, 
Um, but uh, everything, and that's not much of a hyperbole, it was a salvation issue. And mm, yeah. um, and uh, my wife, uh, she's a hospice RN, so she sees a lot of a lot of hell every oh, day. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, she's a midwife too. Then she is. She, <laughs> oh, I, I can't talk about that. I will start bawling. She is a uh, she's a special person, and just reading, you know, reading about. Uh, I believe it, it. It was a. I believe it was a letter that you shared with us of some sort. Um, of you trying to just explain to your loving, caring wife what you're going through. Um, because she was just trying to understand exactly what's going on inside you. Uh, there's so many people that can relate to that. And uh, I, I'm not in ministry anymore. I was for a while. I had to step out about a year ago and I was blessed. I love the church. And so I was blessed to have a friend, Daniel, to kind of take over for me. And um and I remember just trying to explain what I was going through to my wife. And I know uh, I've seen several times um, people who listen to the, to the, the podcast that, that we're part of, who all come from the same kind of community. Many of us know each other even um, are saying, you know, my spouse doesn't fully understand what's going on with me. And they love me. They want to understand. Um, I, I think this is a very deep book and a very beautiful book. But there's little nuggets in there like this that the average person reading this who's not a theologian, who's not a preacher, who's not just trying to find some kind of intellectual uh, truth to go run around with. There's people trying to find hope. They're seeing your conversation with Eden. And then at the end, um, uh, you mentioning how uh, she sees every act of love as a wink from God. I'm like, man, that 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 kicked me in the tail of just how I needed it. I'm like, that's that's Sarah, um, my wife. She uh I I don't get a lot out of prayer, if I'm being honest, but she when she reaches out to me for my hand for us to pray together, um if there's a time I see God, it's is in that. Absolutely. We 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 talk a little bit about um what it was like navigating your relationship um, through your time for those, for, the, for those who don't exactly know the language deconstruction uh, we'll get into that more later, but, but we are, we're all familiar with the idea of changing our views and having a faith crisis. And that's, that's essentially what we're getting at when we talk about deconstruction and reconstruction. It's just, it's just language for that. But when people go through that, their relationships change. Will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> First of all, you've made me fall in love with how people from the South say Mawa. Like that's, <laughs> that's so beautiful. Um, I can feel the tenderness in the accent. It's beautiful. Um, so, yeah, it's not to be taken for granted. Some spouses cannot handle this. So, and, and, and I said supernatural because it was like her capacity to carry our family and our church was, was well beyond her. And she knew it. And she even told God, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I can't fill God Brad's shoes. <laughs> yeah, I was almost going to say God's shoes. Cause I was in Messiah complex, um, <laughs> which, which I crashed into like a, a bus hitting me. Um, but um, but the Lord showed her, it's like, you know what you could, you, what you're good at and, 
um, you're good at being a mom. So I'm going to just need you to be a mom for a while. And so <laughs> she was a mom actually to the church in ways that I would see people gather around her the way my three boys did. But also she was like my mom. When, when I was a little kid, I had a, I had some pretty bad bicycle crashes that left me bloodied up. And I remember my mom coming in and just tending to me. And this felt a lot like that. I was in, I was in bed for, you know, half time for a year. And, and actually that's where I wrote her gates will never be shut. I, oh. I wrote it from bed. Wow. From hell. Um, yeah. And, and so I was really grateful, but I also want to empathize with those who, who spouses have not been able to walk with them, have not been able to handle the dysfunction who sometimes needed to leave. And she could have, and she just didn't. And for those who feel the need to, I, I have no condemnation. I just feel lucky, but I also have an exhortation. Do not make Christian theology especially a test of faith. I mean, a test of your marriage. I, I talked to one poor guy whose who's wife threatened to divorce him just because he didn't want to believe in eternal conscious torment anymore. I'm like, you're, you're going to break apart a marriage over a belief in the afterlife that you have no idea about and no yeah. competence to, that's bizarre to me. So, um, you know, Paul in First Corinthians seven says, you know, even if your spouse is an unbeliever, yeah. you don't, you're not morally required as a Christian to leave them. You're that you're sanctifying them somehow, and like, okay, so um, here's my punchline: um, no matter what your spouse is going through, what can you be kind? <laughs> You know, I had a pastor friend whose wife told him, you know, I don't love you anymore and I want to leave and I want to go to go join a, a bike gang and just be a rowdy woman. And he came to me and my my friend about it. He's like, what do I do with this? I'm like, it's it she never had a chance to say no to her dad. Then she went to a college where she wasn't allowed to say no, where she met you and your call to ministry, and she wasn't allowed to say no. Now she's in midlife and a Harley is looking pretty. <laughs> enticing don't try to control her just be kind and be there for her and and you know what she she turned the corner she was able to to find a new faith the old one wouldn't work and she was able to to um recommit to her marriage but not you know like i say this is there's every experience under the sun so the the only rule I can think of that covers all of them is be kind. And my wife is is a saint of kindness, that's for sure. Wow. I think that's good advice, not just for spouses, but also for churches who are yeah. maybe handling a, a pastor or a member or a Bible class teacher or a worship leader who's going through the process of deconstruction. Yeah. Uh, you know, just be kind, just be loving. And so many times, as you mentioned earlier, um, Pastors may be afraid of that word deconstruction because of how it's been uh, used on occasion. And so they will, if they hear that one of their members is using that language, they may castigate them or cast them out of the synagogue or something like that. Uh, like you hinted at earlier. And who does that help? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who does that help? Not, 
that no. all that does is confirm the suspicions of the person that the system in which they were raised or which they bought into doesn't work for them anymore. You know? Yeah. All, all that. Yeah. Does is, yeah. Well, when in fact, I mean, this is the Christian tradition that God yes. dismantles constructs constantly. And whenever we say anything about God, the ancient Christians would say, careful, everything we say about him can be turned into an idol. And so de- it can become a golden calf. Your theology, even your creed, is a golden calf if, if the fruit of it is unkindness. Because you know what? Yeah. There, the, the kindness is the fruit of the spirit, and there's no law against it. Yes. So if, if, <laughs> if your idea, if your definition of faithfulness requires unkindness on a creedal issue, who's the heretic? You know, so um, that's something to think about. And and just how great, great saints like St. John of the Cross, he wrote that poem and then a commentary on it, Dark Night of yeah. the Soul. That's not an aberration. That is the Christian tradition. So <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm all into it. Let's embrace a deeper, more ancient, more rigorous version of deconstruction not just this trendy thing but instead of resisting the trendy things like no double down on it you don't do it half-assed you've got to go all the way to death and resurrection at some point so yes exactly you have to go through winter to get to the spring that's right that's that's Um, it so i got i've got to throw this quote out there that you put on twitter like months ago and i just happened to see it and save it in my files (laughs) it says Kenosis is the highest form of deconstruction. Spiritual arson is the lowest. Oh, that was a good day. Yeah. I got to retweet that one. Hey, you, you even put your uh, face on them. You do, you're doing great. I well, love the good about himself that day. Yeah, I got I got yeah. hassled for that one, but I, I I that doesn't bother me. So, so for our uh, for our friends out there who don't have never heard the word kenosis, can you kind of walk us through? Uh, break that quote down for us. Sure. So kenosis is a Greek word that's so common now in theology that it's become an English word, sort of like the French word toque. That's what we call a beanie up here in Canada. Oh, <laughs> so so toque, T-O-Q-U-E, is now an English word. We call it a borrow word, right? We do this all the time from Greek anyway. Anthropology, that's Greek, but we use yeah. it in English, right? So kenosis has, is, is a Greek word. A, a, a borrow word from Philippians chapter two, where it says, um, it, uh, Paul says that, that even, uh, as, even though, he, uh, he's equal with God or as God, uh, Christ emptied himself. So kenosis is this emptied himself and took the form of a human servant, even to the point of death. And so that's a huge, there's a letting go in that. Now, it's not that he becomes less God. That's the, that's the most wonderful, amazing thing about Philippians 2. In kenosis, in emptying himself and taking the form of a servant, Christ actually revealed God. Mm. And he's showing us on the cross the clearest picture you can have of the divine nature. So kenosis is both the divine nature of God. This is what it is to be godlike. To and 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 but ironically, that involves an emptying. So don't think of it like a bucket full of water that is God, and then he has to take some stuff out of the bucket. It's no, what was emptied? His godness? No, no. God himself is emptied into the world as as 
love incarnate. So it's self-giving, um, self-emptying, radical service, you know, even to the point of uh, washing his disciples' feet and 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 dying on a cross. And so when I say that, now that's talk about deconstruction, when you've completely yeah. <laughs> emptied all of God into this world as a human servant washing some feet. You know, that's letting go of a, a form of majesty. Whereas, um, you know, and, and, and it, it's so, so that's what I mean by it's like the ultimate form of deconstruction. You can't, you can't go lower. In fact, he does go, he goes to the, the very bottom of Hades mm, yes. and, and pulls up Adam and Eve with himself right out of the bottom. And meanwhile, I, I'm contrasting that to spiritual arson. Where, where I picked that up was from Dostoevsky's novel, Demons. It's also called The Possessed sometimes. And what Dostoevsky does is he says, you know, some of the deconstructionists uh, or what they were called in Russia was progressives in the late 1800s. Their whole thing was just burn it all down. Mm -hmm. And he compare, he calls the book The Possessed or Demons because he compares that movement to uh, the gospel story of the Gadarene demoniac where these demons just enter the herd of pigs and they rush to their deaths. And he's like, this is going to happen in Russia if we just keep up with spiritual arson. And there's actually an arson scene in the book and he just directly relates it. And it's prophetic because then what ends up actually happening is the Bolshevik revolution and, and, and the gulags in Russia and uh, the, the mass murder of Stalin, who, by the way, also was responsible for killing my wife's grandfather. So wow. I, I watched that and I go, if that's what you think it is to be progressive, we've been there before and this yeah. is where it goes. So that's not, de that, I mean, uh, that, that might be a form of deconstruction. It's just the lowest one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love, yeah, uh, yeah. I just love the, uh, the clarification there because when we talk about deconstruction, it can mean so many things to so many different people. And perhaps uh, there may be a, a, a minister or pastor who's listening to this, who's been afraid of that word so far, but when they, when they see the distinction that it doesn't have to mean one thing in every circumstance, then maybe they can be a little bit more open to the idea of, of pastoring someone through uh, deconstruction, right. And being able yeah. to offer that nuance to them. So yeah, and they may that. want to consider for themselves what what needs to be deconstructed, like yeah. <laughs> us, <laughs> yeah. us, us, them hostilities. That like in some ways, I don't like the thinking of deconstruction as demolition, because we right. think demolishing faith. But like, actually, there's some things to demolish. Um, we need to demolish the politicization right. of Christianity. We need to demolish the barriers of a hostility between whoever we think us and them are. So there's a lot, there actually is a lot to demolish, but all of that is not to lead us away from faith, but right. to, to remove the hindrances to faith so that we actually, like Isaiah talks about removing the boulders on the highway so people can come closer to God. And, you know, right. It's, it's being willing to admit that any, like you mentioned before, any picture that we have of God, any thought that we have of God, we should, um, be willing to admit that it can at least be wrong or at least be shaky. Right. And so we're not deconstructing God. We're not uh, 
deconstructing Jesus. We are deconstructing a insufficient picture that we have of Jesus or of God that leads us to being less Christ-like humans, right? Yeah, that um, sounds right. Yeah. On on uh, this Sunday, actually, uh, my sermon is going to come from Acts chapter ten, and we're going to talk about the us them thinking and how that was a form of deconstruction. Uh, Peter having the witness that a sheet let down from heaven, and then come to the conclusion: wait a minute. These these categories of clean and unclean, of us versus them, of in and out, of the outsiders versus the insiders, it's not even how God works. That's not even what he's what he's thinking about. Um, that's a great example. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so, exciting. Wish I were there. Right. Well, hey, uh, uh, for our listeners, you can tune in at northbroad.church. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> 1030 Central. So um, the uh, I had a thought there that. Just slip my mind. So, Jesse, what I heard you about to talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Brad, um, you know, I've, I've been going, I'm about to be 31 here soon. And I've been going through some form of deconstruction since I was 16, 17 years old. Um, and like I said earlier, any any change in just about any doctrine um, from what I grew up in uh, was, a, it showed, it revealed that my faith was a house of cards. And so my temptation at that point uh, at first was go, to go into agnosticism and just let's assume there's nothing and see how it, see how it turns out. And of course, I, I feel like um, that's different than uh, someone who's saying, let's just burn it all down because you're trying to, you're still trying to seek truth as you talk about, especially towards the end of your book. Uh, someone who's trying to seek truth, someone who's trying to live out agape love um, in their life in that process, even if they're not quite claiming Jesus right now, they're on the Jesus path. They're going down the Jesus way, as you mentioned even earlier. Um, but my temptation when I came back to some form of Christianity was um, was to be legalistic in my liberalism, if you will, uh, oh, yeah. or, or for what what was considered liberal in my movement, at least. And yep. and uh, and I see that, you know, what is it now, 10, uh, 10 12 years later, I see that a lot now maybe it's always kind of been that way it seems like it has going back to russia and <laughs> probably since the cross um that there's a temptation to sing the same song but in a different verse uh when it comes to uh having some bitterness having some feeling feeling like maybe we were lied to or whatever it might be um feeling betrayed by our faith or by those who taught us our faith and so the temptation is to burn it all down. But what it seems to become, if we're not careful, and, and I fell into this as well, is uh, becoming almost legalistic and liberalism. So uh, if you don't view things the way I view things, if you don't think about the world the way I think about the world, um, then you're not in. It's a different type of sectarianism that Daniel and I grew up in. It just it just it's wearing different clothes. Um, you talk about that a lot in the book. Uh, you, you mind speaking on that a little bit? Oh, dude, that's so important. And okay, let's let's nuance it. Um, but we'll use some illustrations. I I I think I see this in just about everywhere that you um, that you have a conversion experience. Even like if you go from being a smoker to an ex-smoker. Who's hardest on the smokers? It's quite often the ex-smokers, right? And so, so maybe there's some phases to this. And and I, 
when I say nuance that I mean, like, maybe we can't just skip the phases, but there's healthy ways and unhealthy ways of doing it. So for example, the, the first phase might you be something like you begin to see what that there's something off. You begin to feel that there's something off. You begin to recognize and, and, and become able to articulate what it is that's off. And then once you've seen it, um, you can maybe uh, a second phase or one of the next phases is, is that sense of betrayal? Is that sense I've been lied to? It's like, and also you begin to, to, to see the damage that you underwent as a result of that, the consequences that you inherited from somebody else's indoctrination, which by the way, they probably inherited. And, um, and so, so then what ends up happening is you can go into a zealous phase and I'm, I was sort of in that zealous phase when I edited stricken by God question mark. You know, I was saying penal substitution is damaging. It's wrong. I'm going to show you how it's wrong. And I have a lot of people who can help me show you how wrong it is. Um, when I read it now, you know, this is many years later, but I still agree with everything in there, but I know some people, one, one of my friends said, this felt violent to me, you know? Um, <laughs> How ironic is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and isn't it? And then, and then, so that's, I think, where you see a lot of folks now is in their deconstruction, they've, they've allowed bitterness and zeal to mingle, and then they come out quite aggressive about it, and you're how I might say it is that they've just gone from being right-wing fundamentalists to left-wing fundamentalists, but they're still fundamentalists. And now they're just mirroring each other. Mm -hmm. And, and um, in that mirroring, you, you may have changed your opinion, but you have not had a conversion in your spirit. Yeah. It's uh, a lateral, it's a lateral shift. That's exactly right. So then what happened with me is so uh, my godfather stepped in. (laughs) He's so good at this. And uh, so, and he showed me two things. One was um, he showed me uh, um, the importance of coming to peace with my own story because these were projections, my anger towards those who were still, um, let's say evangelical conservatives was was an anger towards myself that i i that i had been duped and now i was projecting in my projections uh, uh, uh angry projections it's like dude you're still angry at yourself you need to forgive that part of you for being duped for being part of it i wasn't just duped i was a perpetrator you know yeah. and so as I've done the healing work on that and, and learned, wait a minute. So first of all, my evangelical fundamentalist parents did show me to love Jesus and love scripture and love prayer and love sharing my faith. And I haven't get, abandoned that. Do I really think the world would be better without them? No. Mm. Okay. And then, yes, that's part of my story. And it, it's such a necessary part of my story that if I hadn't passed through those, that stage, I wouldn't be who I am today. I couldn't write a book on the atonement if I hadn't written my MA thesis defending (laughs) 
penal substitution <laughs> and to to say yeah you were passionate about that and you loved the cross you were totally deluded but so you think you've arrived now so coming to peace with myself automatically soften my heart towards other people who are still yes. in that place in my story. And then one last yeah. thing I, I think I'll say is uh, my godfather also said, St. Isaac the Syrian said this, those who've seen the truth are not zealous for the truth. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, if you've really seen it, then do you need to run around defending it everywhere? Um, yeah. Or if you're going to articulate it, what's with the edge? you know um and and uh so that's <laughs> to see uh, blessed to see who's in on the joke right <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so so i've just described phases of that very same thing so it's be you know i think martin luther king jr said something or or bono or whoever you know be beware of nietzsche actually first you know that you don't become the monster you want to slay yeah mm. yeah that that was a temptation for me for sure. Uh, when I was first, uh, you know, I, I was uh, excommunicated uh, from the church that I grew up in that I had become the pastor of for a few years. Uh, I was disfellowshipped by my family as well, and had letters sent out about me, you know, to all of the area congregations that I would have felt comfortable going to, basically uh, marking me as a false teacher. And yeah, when yeah. that when that first happened, the gut reaction was, "Let me." you know, take out my spiritual sword and go cut down as many people as I could. And I was on a rampage, you know, for, for that's about the time Jesse discovered me uh, for maybe about a year. Or so I was on a rampage and then uh, I just hit a brick wall and uh, yours was the bed. Mine was the bathtub. I would just go take hot baths and just lay in the dark and not answer my phone, not respond to messages. Uh, just, you know, cry and cry and cry and pray and pray and pray and not even know what I was even doing. And, uh, Eventually, I learned that was called deconstruction, but man, it was tough. Uh, but you, the posture that you take towards your past self now is something that has helped me heal uh, more than anything. And instead of every time I feel that, uh, that cringy feeling or whatever, I try to turn that into, oh, look at him go. You know, he's, he's doing the best with what he's got. You know, just uh, he's, he's just really just doing his hardest, you know, you'll get there. Keep on going, buddy. You know, it's more of like a cheerleader than it is, you know, jeering at myself. Cause that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. And uh, it doesn't help how I communicate um, my faith journey to other people. Um, and I, I remember distinctly this one time, uh, this was before the long nights in the bathtub. I stood up in front of a group of people and I said, okay, now that we've changed our mind on this thing, now we have the truth. <laughs> You know, like, <laughs> we've arrived. And, yeah, oh, man. yeah. But but Daniel, I love this is this has a point of uh, clarification for those listening. Yeah. Um. Nobody here is saying that. Um. That loving people and understanding where they're coming from is the same thing as justifying certain views that might might be toxic. Yeah. What we're saying yeah. is uh, kind of like Richard Rohr. Uh, the universal Christ, we're, we're seeing Jesus in one another. We're seeing the the image of God in one another and seeing ourselves in one another. And um, it's kind of the, it's kind of like a, some, some wise person once said, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. that's, that's kind of what we're coming from. We're not necessarily justifying 
particular views and we have views that are probably toxic that we just don't realize at the moment. That's um, right. We're just, we're just yeah. saying, Hey, let's, let's be kind to one another and patient uh, as Jesus would be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not, I even have, I even have a lot of time and patience now for, for the zealots, right? So like when, when you're Daniel, when you're describing, you know, this, that zealot phase, it's like, well, of course, you know, yeah, yeah. What 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 are we saying? That you should have repressed your grief, that you should have rep- repressed your your anger. That just comes out in other ways. But you know, yeah. it is good then for those who are in that place to 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 say, neither do we condemn you. Been there, um, but <laughs> <Yeah>. also <laughs> consider the words of Isaac the Syrian. Consider the call to kindness, and and uh, so someone someone invited me out of that stage well i think what would be what and i'm in a stage now right i'm only 58 do i really yeah. think when i'm 78 that i will bless and agree with everything 58 year old me say <laughs> when when i'm looking at 38 year old now and going what <laughs> um yeah, well, so of course not but yeah um, but, uh Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I was going to say uh, to complement that, uh, Brian McLaren talks about this process of simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony as being like rings in a tree. It's you go through different phases of simplicity and complexity, uh, but you see it through the lens of harmony. You know, uh, yeah. you know, once you've gone through it that first time, and so it's mm. deconstruction is never something that you stop doing. You know, eventually, if if we're going to take on the spirit of Christ, like Philippians 2 says, and humble ourselves, then we're never going to stop deconstructing in a sense. It's just that we view it in a different way, you know, once we get through that phase the first time, you know, there's just a sort of a different approach or different mindset, you know? Yeah. Um, Think about, you know, another metaphor for this is simply growing. So, you know, full disclosure, um, from the time I was 30 till now, I, uh, uh, my genes don't fit me. <laughs> so as we grow, um, the clothing that was completely appropriate for six-year-old Brad, 18-year-old Brad, 30-year-old Brad, 58-year-old Brad, it, you know, it was appropriate maybe for the time. So we're not, I'm yeah. not even saying that everything we have to be deconstruct is, it was wrong. Some of it is just like, yeah um i i've outgrown it and weirdly that can sound contemptuous because then i'm i can point at other people and say well i've just grown more than you well here's a here's a stubborn fact i have folks who've also grown that seem to becoming more conservative other folks who've grown seem to becoming more liberal i'm like what's that about (laughs) some of them are becoming less liturgical Others are becoming more liturgical and, and um, I can't, oh, I know, I guess I don't get to be the judge. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Someone once said that too, you know, (laughs) but I will say on the, on the level of ideas, I'm happy to say that I believe that by the end of the, uh, by the end of the century, I would love for eternal conscious torment to be formally declared a heresy, you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm I'm unapologetic about that. I I think it's I think it's had a chance its chance to demonstrate it, its fruit, 
in damaged lives and in the world. And so, but I don't have to hate a person who still believes that I can debate them, but I want to debate the ones where we actually care about each other. And I've noticed this, what the things I'm most passionate about, or, and let's say against the Lord will humanize it for me. So I am, I'm utterly, um, opposed to militarism and I've been vocal about it. I've written about it and the Lord brought Lieutenant Colonel Dan, uh, David Jones into my life and we are dear friends and we, we're in contact regularly. And I'm like, Oh, this is good. Cause I, I don't, I love him. And that means I don't have to hate soldiers just cause I don't believe in. Yeah. And, and here's a soldier who loves me. Yeah, Brad, I, sh- I shared with uh, Jesse just yesterday, um, Mark Twain's The Warp Prayer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that should yes. have been the last word on the topic, by the way, <laughs> you know, but yeah, here we uh, are. <laughs> you, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, eternal conscious torment. And mm-hmm. So I probably made that jump to uh, Christian universalism. Uh, probably two years ago, I, I've read, uh, it's probably the first book of yours that I read. Uh, you re- you wrote it in 2009, if I, if I remember correctly. And um, the legalistic Church of Christ, little boy Jesse version of me wants to look at that in a legalistic way. And like you were mentioning just a moment ago, and to say, how, how dare you have any other view than this? When, when two days earlier, you know, I had a different view. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but with that said, and, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting people have to agree with this view of, uh, of God's, how God works and how hell works and all that kind of stuff to read and enjoy and get something out of this book. I'm not suggesting it at all. Um, but I will say there's a lot, there's some, there's some areas, especially towards the end of the book that if you do have that, that view, and I, and I want to encourage anybody listening to uh, grab a copy of her, uh, her gate shall never shut by Brad. Um, if you do have that view or at least lean towards that direction and you read this book, it, it helps make some connections on a practical level and, and really on a overarching level, even when it comes to theology, that universalism is not just about hell. Um, no. it's about who is God and how does all this work? And when you have that view and you read some of these things, I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> but when you have this view and you read this, the end of this book, any questions I had about where is Brad going with this? Um, exactly. Um, because I don't know if this leaves a lot of room for people who aren't quite ready to take Jesus back yet or not. You know, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned towards the end of the book that some people have to re- relearn how to trust Jesus. And I thought that was profound, and uh, and I needed to hear that because up until that point, I'm thinking, okay, Brad, but I really needed to step away from everything when I was, you know, in my early twenties, late late teens, I had to step away from it all. And you you go right into this reconstruction thing, and I, I just wasn't. If you look, if you use that language with me, that reconstruction, I I feel I would feel unheard. But in the end of the book, you really bring it together uh, by showing that. If you have this view of of how God really ultimately works out um, the restoration of all things in all people, um, if you have that understanding, this makes all reconstruction and deconstruction 
that's just all part of the narrative. And God is working intimately in all things uh, to bring about his will. And that's such a beautiful, honestly, I think this book um, really is just the icing on the cake of bringing everything together that you've written so far that I've read of just showing, okay, how do these theological points, um, how these work, how do these work in real life? And um, how, how do you, how would you explain to people uh, how deconstruction and reconstruction uh, is a part of how God ultimately uh, brings about the restoration of, of all things? And that's part of the process. Yeah. A couple things come to mind. So, so one is I want to, for those who, who uh, have come to a place of agnosticism, which means I just don't even know what I believe anymore. Maybe I, you know, I don't trust that I can take hold of anything. I want to bless your agnosticism in light of what you've just said. Um, So if I couldn't be, a Christian agnostic, I couldn't be a Christian. Mm. And that's the tradition. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, so it's, if we see where we're at from the end, we call this um, a f- final cause. The final cause of a chair is that you sit on it. I need to, something to sit on. So then I go cut down a tree, I get the wood, I build a chair, all of those things are efficient and, you know, different kinds of causes. But what the final cause is, why did I make the chair in the first place? It's it's because of the end, the end is sitting on it. So here's what I think is that in Acts 3, when Peter says that he, 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 he says that the end game is the restoration of all things. And he's including all people. When Paul says in first Corinthians 15, that God will be all in all. They're giving us the, the final cause. Now we can look at every, every single person's deconstruction reconstruction process as a means to that final end. Then I don't have to panic. Yeah. And that means, let's say I have, I have a good number of friends who were Christians, or at least they were brought up Christian, and now they would call themselves ex-Christian, agnostic, some maybe atheists, some are would self-proclaim as pagans. That used to just frustrate me. <laughs> um, and frustration is a kind of anger at a blocked goal. So, hmm. So now when I hear them, I, I, you know, my primary fellowship is actually not the monastery where I attend church. My primary fellowship is a 12-step meeting where these guys go. And what I'm seeing there is kenosis. And here's what I mean by that, that Christ loves them so much that he recognizes their incapacity to believe in the Jesus they were raised on, but is still willing to come to them completely anonymously as the one who loves them and the one who is setting them free. And I'm seeing real transformation that I can only account for as a Christian, if it's Jesus doing it, and they can't associate their healing with that name because of what. So talk about kenosis, the humility of Christ to pervade 
their journey and to say, I'm going to heal you before you can confess me. And, and so as a result, I'm, I'm like, if you're, if you're an agnostic, I get that your point of view is agnosticism. And I get that my point of view is, is, has to do with Jesus. And I read your story a particular way and it, and, but I'm okay with how you sing your song. We don't have to sing the same song. We don't have to believe we're singing to the same one, but, but it actually sets my heart at ease that I don't have to become this aggressive in your face evangelist, twisting your arm to say the name, say the name, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, <"Ooh." laughs> no. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, that's how I see it. Yeah, I uh, shared this chart with Jesse as we were kind of talking about this. Uh, there's Jesus in the middle there. And the circle sort of represents what, I guess, what most people would consider a Christian if you're kind of in there somewhere, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you may start off at A and then go to B and then go way over here to C. Well, who's closer to Jesus, A or C? You know, most people just looking at the chart would say, well, it's A, but really it's it's D or it, it's it read, really it's C because before you can get to E, right back here where Jesus is, you first have to go and go on this journey, you know, towards agnosticism or whatever, you know. And so someone who is in uh, agnosticism or who is questioning their faith or is in deconstruction may be closer to uh, where Jesus is than someone who was, quote, you know, raised in church or whatever, because yeah. that's well, well, part of their journey. Right? So reconstruction doesn't necessarily mean, um, hey, I'm claiming Jesus as Lord again at least not at this moment of that person's journey. Um, it, it just means that they're going on the Jesus way, whether they, you know, whether they realize it or not. And it, it gets kind of presumptuous for us to say that to them in that kind of way. Uh, but uh, as you said, we all have our own worldviews in a way that we see people's journeys and our own journeys. And from a Christian perspective, we're seeing somebody who's deconstruction, uh, deconstructing as, it's actually all reconstructing, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all uh, about this continual death, burial, and resurrection of ourselves, As Paul says, I die daily, you know? Um, so it's not reconstruction uh, is not uh, dismissive of those who aren't claiming Jesus as Lord at the moment. Uh, there's a difference between people who are just saying, let's burn it all down. And, and people who are saying, um, Hey, I just gotta, I gotta empty myself for a while and to see if there, if there is a God, uh, I believe that if I'm seeking truth, I'm seeking him and, uh, and just let Jesus do the healing, you know? Yeah. And if emptying yourself is emptying yourself of idols, you're already, yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's where deconstruction reconstruction isn't super great language, is it? You know, no, it's, it's not. Um, yeah. but so we're groping for different metaphors cause that's sure. what, it, that's what it is. But yeah. Um, I, I, I have agnostic friends who, purge themselves of a lot of their uh, religious faith and practice. And I have to say, they're a lot closer to Jesus now under whatever name, some, some overtly. Yeah. I, I left church so I could be with Jesus. In fact, my friend Safi Kaskas is a Christ-like follower of Jesus who happens to be a Muslim who happens to be more intimate with Jesus in terms of hearing his words and obeying them purposely than a lot of the Christian folks in my in my town. But what if in the end, what if we say that the church is an eschatological term? 
when the spirit and the bride, when creator and creation are all united and one. And that what we're looking at now is hopefully um, sprouts. This I got from Father John Bear. Sprouts like um, crocuses and snowdrops popping up through the snow as a fir- as the first fruits and signs of what's coming. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, church is much bigger than Christianity, but it's also out there. And now I'm looking for signs of it everywhere, wherever I see exchanges of grace. Winks from God, as Abel would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the uh, the the church in the wilderness uh, didn't wasn't just comprised of Israel. It was comprised of the uh, the strangers, you know, who wandered from uh, Moses's in laws, <laughs> people wow, that yeah. they picked up on the way. You know, it wasn't just Israel. It was all kinds of people who joined uh, that band as they traveled mm. towards the promised land. So uh, it's kind of like the sheep's uh, the sheep in uh, Matthew twenty five. We didn't feed you or clothe you <laughs> or visit you in prison, yeah. uh, but as they've done it to the least of these, they, we've done it to Christ. So, wow. Well, hey, um, Brad, is there anything that you'd like to share to the audience in terms of uh, websites, social media profiles? Where can they find you? Yeah, where can they find more of you? Um, you know, you can find me as Brad or Bradley Jersak, depending on um, everywhere, you know, well, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and bradjersak.com. Um, if you do a search on Amazon, you probably got to do Brad and Bradley because they won't let me combine the accounts. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, I saw well. somebody somebody yesterday. Uh, I was telling them about the book, and they said uh, I looked for the book, I couldn't find it, or the audio book, and uh, they said, "Oh, I had to look up Bradley Jerzak." <laughs> yeah, or they could just look up Jerzak. That would yeah, be, there you go. really work. Just <laughs> Google Jerzak and and uh, whatever other word you want. Um, <laughs> you'll see all sorts of <laughs> trolls and, and, uh, and also, um, um, but you can follow me there. I've got public Facebook pages and Instagram, Instagram's a public page. You'll see a lot of my grandkids um, yeah. interspersed with, with um, provocative memes and, and then just advertisements <laughs> from my books. So yeah, you had one the other day. I, I forgot. It was about, uh, I think it was about condemnation, like you mentioned a while ago. And wow, it got some attention. <laughs> I guess a couple of weeks ago, maybe before Thanksgiving, uh, you posted yeah. a meme about condemnation. That one, Oops. that one took uh, <laughs> Facebook by storm, didn't it? Um, hey, well, uh, Jesse, did you have anything else that you wanted to add in there before we close this out? Uh, I just want to say for the, our audience, um, uh, Brad is. Um, uh, I'm kind of brown nosing a little bit, but Brad, Brad is my favorite Christian thinker. And I have a lot of Christian thinkers that I love and adore uh, in, in my personal life and, and people I read. And, uh, and it's not just because of what he says or the theological principles, but it's also the spirit in which he, he says those things, uh, whether it's on a video like this or audio like this or a video, or even through his writings. Uh, I want to encourage you um, if you're listening to uh, pick up his uh, more Christlike series. It's three books on uh on the Bible, on, on Jesus, on the, on uh, the Jesus way, on God. Um, uh, I'm not just saying that Brad didn't pay me any money to say that. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's been something helpful uh, for my life uh, in, in more ways than I can say. And Brad, I just really appreciate you taking the time with us today. My pleasure. It's always enjoyable. Hey, Brad, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit here, but I think you have the experience to be able to pull this off. Uh, sure. Would you be willing to uh, close us out in a benediction? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and just 
just so you know that I, I want to give people a taste of my daily prayer life that includes there I have yeah. you know intimate prayer with Jesus but this this is liturgical it's an ancient prayer and um so here we go hmm. oh heavenly king oh comforter spirit of truth who is in all places and fills all things treasury of good gifts and giver of life come dwell with us cleanse us of every stain and save our souls O good one holy god holy mighty holy immortal have mercy on us holy god holy mighty holy immortal have mercy on us holy god holy mighty holy immortal have mercy on us all Holy Trinity, have mercy on us. Wash away our sins, pardon our iniquities, visit and heal our infirmities for your name's sake. For you are a good and merciful God and you love humankind. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.